Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, September 12th, 2018, and the title of tonight's sermon is Department of Corrections. Department of Corrections. (laughs) Man, if uh, if you weren't here on Sunday, if you were, you know, on the mission field or you were accomplishing something great for the Lord... I want to I want to encourage you uh, that we had a crushingly good word on this Sunday. My goodness, it's something that you need to go back and listen to. Uh, the truth is, is if you were here on Sunday, you should go back and listen to this sermon because it outlined what every man must have in order to be a spiritually virile man, a man that is able to produce spiritual fruit. Monday night, golly, you would think that Sunday would be enough. In most places, Sunday would be enough for us to chew on maybe even for an entire month. Barely lasted 24 hours in this place. On Monday night, we learned that we can be in the right place, even wearing the right kind of things, and still be in desperate need to hear the Father call our name and for us to obey and do the will of the Lord. Here's what I jotted down from Monday night. Belief alone does not qualify you for the kingdom of heaven. Godly actions alone do not qualify you for the kingdom of heaven. Doing the will of the Father who is in heaven is the qualifying factor for entering the kingdom. Man, I'm still chewing on these things. Tonight I want to share something with you that is very personal to the Sutherland family. You're my family, aren't you? A church is not supposed to be a collection of people. It's not supposed to be an organization. It's supposed to be a family. Now we've all been in churches. If you're like me, you've been in churches that were something other than a family. Boy, it was a big meeting place. Some of it have been like small towns that you would go into. They've been, I don't know, even more resembling a circus than a family. But here at LCM, we're a family. As your pastors, we are, uh, we are supposed to be representing the very fatherhood of God. I want to tell you something very personal to the Sutherlands tonight. The Sutherlands are in the midst of a campaign in our own home. You're going to hear us say it. You're going to hear us say it out loud. And we thought we would just share it with you so that we're not always trying to come to you in our strengths, but we're able to even show you our weaknesses. I'm actually learning that God can more often than not use us in our weaknesses and actually chooses us because of our weaknesses because he definitely doesn't need our strength. We think he does. We think we can have so much to offer him. But he often uses our weaknesses. In the Sutherland household, we're on a campaign and you're going to hear us say it. You're going to hear us say it in our home. You're going to hear me say it to my kids. You're going to hear my wife say it to me and me say it to my wife. That the Sutherlands love correction. To crave it. To love it in every single way. Not because we have to. Not because we're forced to. Not because I have a job that mandates it. I'm actually in covenant with my friends. I'm in covenant with Eric. I'm in covenant with Matthew and their entire families. I'm in covenant with Bosch. I'm in covenant with Charlie. That means that we yield our lives to each other like we're family. It is both our job and a covenant to give and to receive correction for the mutual edification of the team members and for you here. We are continually improving. We are continually working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And upon receiving correction from my brothers, you know what I learned? I learned that I'm not as good at taking correction as I thought I was. I learned that I really want to say that I'm good at taking correction. And I realized in the moment that I had some uh, glaring weaknesses in how I received correction from my friends. 
I'm so thankful that my friends can bring correction to me. I'm so grateful that they can look at me and say, hey, brother, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, hey, man, thank you. We're going to talk about this tonight because I figured that if it's going on in my life, if the Sutherlands have a campaign, the I Love Correction campaign going on, you're going to hear it. You might even see it on something if you come upstairs in our house and visit us. You're going to see somewhere in our house. You're going to see it on my desk. I love correction. You know why? Because I want that to be true about us. I don't want to be the kind of person who says things and gets in front of you and tries to show you when I got it all together. We're going to actually show you, hey, we need to get better at this. And I figured if we need to get better, just maybe, maybe, I mean, it's highly unlikely, but just maybe there's somebody else in the room who might need a a little help in getting better at receiving correction from the Lord. You know what I heard in Ibrahim, by the way, thank you, brother, wherever you are, there you are. Ibrahim, thank you for your word tonight. I have to be honest with you. I was feeling a little vulnerable. I'm like, man, I'm going to kind of share with my family tonight. I'm a little nervous. I'm not usually nervous getting up in front of you, but I am a little bit tonight because it's me sharing my weaknesses with you. Ibrahim, that was such a good word. The idea of the potter reforming that clay as he sees fit. You know what I was thinking about as Ibrahim was saying that? Man, we are all responding like that. Lord, we want to see you. Yeah, Lord, you do whatever you want in our lives. You reform us however you decide, Lord. We want it. But then I realized that there are a few verses here that we're going to read tonight that maybe uh, we need to consider. Let's turn to Jeremiah 17 together. Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 9. Say there when you are there. Man, I'm so glad I'm not in a circus church tonight. This would not be the kind of, the kind of message that you're going to bring in a circus church. You, you can't. You got to be good looking and, and smart and eloquent and you got to be a lot of things that I'm not. But here tonight as a family member together, we're going to actually grow closer to the Lord. Amen. The Lord's going to use his word to reshape how we think, to reshape what we're doing so that we can actually do what we proclaim in an altar. Do what we raise our hands and sing in a song. Lord, that you might move upon us. Lord, that we can enter that holy of holies. You're never going to let us down. Look at what Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says. Are you there with me? It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that's kind of a depressing place to start, isn't it? (laughs) Pastor, I thought you were going to encourage us. Yeah, the heart is deceitful. You know who he's talking to right here? Us. It's so easy to read the Scripture and be like, Yes, Lord, my heart was so deceitful back then. In some other time, in some other place, my heart was deceitful. Yes. Boy, I could admit that because we love the Lord. You know who he's talking to right here? He's saying, our heart. Oh, no, 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 no. Ours is, ours is a good word, but it's a little bit too vague. My heart is deceitful. Can you say that with me? Say, my heart is deceitful. My heart is deceitful. Well, that feels different than saying our heart, doesn't it? That dispersion of, dispersion of responsibility. It's ours. Yeah, we all have a problem. Yeah, no, let's talk about this from you. Take a look at your own heart tonight. Our heart, your heart, my heart is deceitful above all things 
and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to reward us, to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. And after stating this, you know, a few chapters later, Jeremiah is rebuked. Jeremiah has the revelation. Man, my heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. And you know what he does a few chapters later? He has a different heart for the people than what God is telling him to have. The measure of whether our heart is right or not is if it perfectly reflects, reflects the Father. When our heart is the same as the Father's heart, it has been, it's had all the deceitfulness driven out of it. But in each and everything, you know what we have to do? We keep having to go back to the heart of the Father to make sure that we're not being deceived. Anybody ever deceived yourself before? Almost a silly question, isn't it? I don't want to ask you something even more offensive like, when was the last time you deceived yourself? (laughs) When was the last time you looked in the mirror, guys, and were like, yeah, still got it. Just don't turn this way. Man, I'm looking pretty good. Yeah, the heart is deceitful above all things, man. The Lord is going to work some things out in us as a church. He's going to work it out in us. Because he cares about us. I want you to turn to Job chapter 5. I want to go further in this idea. Come on, Job chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 17. Because you're my family, you're going to have to let me work some of these things out. We're going to actually do a series on correction. You know why? Because it's going to take more than one night for all of us to get our hearts right. Oh, we're going to work at it tonight. We're going to give it our all tonight. And this is not the kind of thing that we can mentally ascend to. You know why? Because our heart's deceitful. And just because we come down to an altar only, man, and I pray that that happens tonight. I pray that your heart is moved upon by the king of all creation. But we need to have our hearts worked out. We need to have things in our heart worked out. And Job 5 is going to help us to do this. Verse 17, it says this, blessed is the man whom God corrects. Come on now. We know we're supposed to like this verse. Blessed is the man who God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the almighty for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Man, let me tell you what I did the other day as I was reading this passage. It struck my heart a certain way. It said, blessed is the man that God corrects. Happy, joyous, blissful is the person that God is correcting. Wait, wait, wait. I'm supposed to be blissful when the Lord is correcting me? I'm supposed to count it pure joy when these things are going on? Yes, we're supposed to be blissful and blessed. Oh, pastor. Can you put up uh, verse 17, Megan? Yeah. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. You know what my first response when I read this was? Amen. Yeah, I'm not supposed to despise the discipline of the Lord. You know what? I don't, dis- I don't despise the discipline of the Lord at all. And then that whole Holy Spirit started convicting me thing. There's that whole Holy Spirit thing that went... And he tapped me and said, are you really sure? You know, what I realized is that uh, I wouldn't have, I would never say that I would despise God's discipline. But why would God have to say that if no one ever despised his discipline? 
The reason he's saying it is because God, the reason God is speaking to us like this is because he knows that our first reaction is to, in fact, despise discipline. Now, you might be good at covering that up. You might have been well-trained and know exactly what to say. Oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. I, I received that correction from you. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best. I appreciate that. Who is that? Who is he to say that to me? I can't believe. You know what we begin to do? We begin to immediately despise the discipline that the Lord is, in fact, giving us. Our problem is that oftentimes we don't even see correction rightly. We can read and quote scriptures regarding discipline and correction, but we can go on missing what the Lord is actually correcting you about. You know how I know that? Because we have the same problem for year after year after year after year, and it doesn't get fixed in us. Then what do we do? Well, that's, that's our personality. That's my upbringing. It's all my dad's fault. It's the environment that I'm in. Clearly, that's the reason. Yeah, let's look at a few scriptures to help us uh, to get in the right mood. Now, tonight, we sang at the beginning of worship that we're going to rise and slay my sin so that we can enter in. We've got a sword in our hand, man. This is awesome. Do you know how you get to rise and slay your sin? Through the correction of the Almighty. Do you know what the sword in your hand is supposed to do? It is supposed to cut away things from your heart first so that you might go out rightly and achieve what God has for you to do. Amen. Come on, somebody say, correction is for me. Correction is for me. Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to rattle off a few of these quickly. So back in the day, we used to have sword drills. You had to find your, in, your, in your Bible as quickly as you could. Proverbs 27.5. I'm going to show you verses that you think that you believe and that in real life you don't really like at all. Proverbs 27.5 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wait, I thought all you pastors were supposed to be just super sweet. Supposed to kiss babies and shake hands. Make sure you don't get that backwards. Better is open rebuke. It is better for you to be openly rebuked than for somebody to love you in secret. Now, how many people has ever heard that verse? Yeah, yeah, we all have, right? This is a difficult verse for you to actually like, love, and believe in. When somebody openly rebukes you, it's your first thought, this is better. This is fantastic. This is so much better than if they had loved me and just kept quiet. I love this so much more. When a friend comes to you and say, hey man, stop doing that. Do you go, wow, I can trust that. Woo! Thank you for that. Man, I'm trusting in that. I'm trying to show us, I'm, I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm trying to illustrate a point. These are verses that we know and we shake our head up and down to and we all agree. Nobody's going to argue with it except for the fact of when you're actually in the moment and you don't do this at all. I don't do this at all. I look at it and be like, on the inside, even if I'm uh, trying to be well-trained on the outside. Is our God only one that looks at the outside or what is it? He always searches the heart. He's always searching the heart. Oh, that's right, because it's deceitful. 
So he needs to constantly search it so that he might not allow us to be trapped in the deceit, but, but set free from it. Proverbs chapter 10. You're in Proverbs. Go to chapter 10. We're going to stay in Proverbs just for a few more verses. 10, 17. It says this, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. I'm not even going to ask a direct question like, have you ever ignored correction? I'm not even even going to try to do that because we know that we have. What happens when we ignore correction? Does it say that we're pointing others astray? It says we're actually leading them astray. Hey, let me show you how to do this, guys. Come follow me as I lead you astray. That's what happens when we ignore correction. But when we heed discipline, we're actually showing and proving the way to life. Let's look at another scripture. Proverbs 12 and verse 1. It says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is, we don't use stupid in our house. Well, the Bible uses it. God uses it in his house. If you hate correction, see pastor, that's the thing though. I don't hate correction. That's why we started out in Jeremiah. We might not be loving correction as much as we think that we do. Anybody ever been corrected in this house? Anybody had a pastor correct you, an elder correct you? Yeah, I'm raising my hand not to just show you. I'm actually raising my hand as an answer. We're going to talk over the next few weeks to make sure that we're actually loving correction. That we're actually allowing correction into our heart. It is the height of stupidity to despise correction in your life. Man, Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15, let's look at verse 32. There are so many that I could have chosen from. I just picked a few that the Sutherland family have that we've been talking about. We don't want to be stupid. We don't want to lead others astray. So we've been in the word and letting the word direct us. Proverbs 15, 32 says this. He who ignores discipline despises himself. See, you thought you were actually despising something else, but the Bible says, because the Bible is so true. It shows us things that we don't even understand about ourselves. When you despise discipline, you despise yourself. You are showing that you have no regard for your own life and for your own direction. Wow. When the Lord corrects us, it is always for our good. Can you agree to that tonight? Man, when he does it, it's always right. Our problem is how many times we don't realize that it's the Lord that's correcting us. Ibrahim's prophecy about a potter. Man, you trust the potter. Woo! He's going to take us and he's going to mold us. We're marred, I know, but he's going to take us and he's going to make us what we need to be. How is he going to do that? You think the folding over of him where he is forming you is a kind and a nice process? You think him removing that part of you that is marred and taking that away from you, you think that's an easy process? He's actually having to circumcise your heart. He's having to cut things away. He's having to fold over and add tension and add pressure to you. What do you think that is if it's not correction? See, we don't want to despise the correction of the Lord, but we also want it to be nice and uh, comfy. 
We don't want to, we, we're okay if it's the Lord adding discipline to our life, but God forbid he uses a person to do it. What, now, wait a minute. Yeah, pastor got it. A few of you got it. We don't think we despise the Lord's discipline, but we don't realize that he uses people to do it. So what we're doing is God is applying discipline to us through another person. And we're saying, I'm not despising the Lord, but I sure do despise that person telling me what to do. Who the heck are you to tell me something? Oh, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. Hey, it's not that I disagreed with what they said. It's just that I disagreed with. Y'all have been inside my head lately. What is that if it is not an example of you despising the discipline of the Lord? I'm trying to make a connection for you that many of you have not yet made. When you despise the people that God is using, the message that he's using, the instrument in the hand of God that he is using, you are despising the discipline of the Lord. Wow. I'll agree with it if it's just done the right way. If it's done by the right person, with the right tone in their voice. If it's done in a soft enough manner for me not to feel too uncomfortable. If it doesn't sting too much. If I don't disagree with it. And if I like it. Or if maybe maybe I think I have a better understanding. Well, that's a lot of stipulations for people who love correction, isn't it? Perhaps that's just us showing that we actually despise discipline. And we don't realize that it's the Lord's hand that's doing it in us. Man, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's get back in the word. Hebrews chapter 12. Come on, somebody say, pastor loves me. I told you from the beginning, this is what the Sutherlands are doing. You're going to hear us say it. I promise you're going to hear us say it. By the way, you're not going to just hear us say it this week. This is a military-like campaign of epic proportions. We know that we're going to work on it immediately. We're going to put it in a full force pedal to the metal. And we're going to have to be corrected to prove that we're starting to love correction. We're going to actually have to fail at it and show that we are, in fact, getting better at it. We know that this is the process that lies before us, and we are welcoming it. Because we think that it will please our Father. We think it shows His heart. Hebrews chapter 12, let's start in verse 4. Are you there? In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted, not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Oh, okay. Well, let's start off with the fact that we're not going after the Lord as hard as we think we are sometimes. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Boy, isn't that the worst thing in the world when you see a kid that makes light of the parent's discipline? You better stop doing that. The kid just ignores it. The kid barely even looks up and acknowledges that the parent has just given instruction. And then they go back to doing what they're doing. How in the world? Boy, that, that'll light, that'll light a, a fire inside of me really, really quickly. 
You don't think it lights a fire in our father? You don't think that when he's telling you to do something, you don't think that there's instructions that pastor gave us on Sunday that we're at Wednesday and you've already started to make light of the Lord's discipline. You didn't, you heard it. It pierced your soul on Sunday and we're at Wednesday. Wow. You made it 72 hours. Fantastic. Yeah. You hadn't, you hadn't done this till you're shedding blood yet. 72 hours and you're starting to make light of the Lord's discipline that he spoke to you on Sunday. Come on, church. We're going to love correction. We're going to love it. You have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Isn't that beautiful how the Lord gives you both ends of the spectrum? Don't you dare make light of it. And don't you fall under such weightiness here that you forget that he's actually trying to do this. He's rebuking you, but don't lose heart when he's rebuking you. Don't go crawl under a rock somewhere and quit. Don't you make light of it. Don't get crushed by this. It's supposed to help you to grow. It's supposed to liberate you. Why? Look at the next verse. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. How are you supposed to not get crushed when discipline comes? You're supposed to not forget that he actually is doing it because he loves you. And he is. Look at that word. Okay, let's see on the screen. This is in NIV 2011. So if you ever see differences, we're reading out of the 84. This is the 2011. He chastens everyone he accepts his son. Yeah, since we all use chasten so much. Thank you, 2011, for making it harder for us to understand. He punishes those he accepts his son. Is punishment designed to feel good to you? If it's feeling good to you, it's not punishment. When you fight discipline and correction, you are fighting, despising, ignoring the very thing that is trying to prove that you are a son and daughter of the king. Wow, why are we fighting that? And then we wonder why we don't feel like his children. Maybe it's because you're not allowing the correction of God in your life enough. Pastor, I would never make light of the Lord's discipline, but we do. Pastor, I I won't lose heart when I'm rebuked, but we can. Pastor, I won't forget that I'm being treated like a son when I'm disciplined, but we forget. Man, after a message like we had on Sunday, we should all feel corrected. Yes? Yes. Okay, don't go to sleep on me now. I figure it's because you're thinking about it. I'm praying that that... from me sharing our weaknesses as a family, that it's going to strengthen our church. Because that's what we do as pastors. Man, we should all feel corrected after Sunday. Have you lost heart? Have you made light? Have you forgotten the fact that the Lord did that and did what he does so many times at this church? Because he loves us and he's counting us as his very children. Look at verse 7 in Hebrews 12. It says this, endure hardship as discipline. Well, that's pretty plain. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? That's a hard question in our day and time because there are now more and more sons not being disciplined by their father. But I, this, is, <laughs> this is going back to when we can understand what it's saying to us. What, what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, look at this next little phrase. And everyone undergoes discipline. Would you say it with me? Say everyone. Everyone. You mean even pastors? Yep. You mean elders? Yes. 
You mean you? Yes. It has to be. Everyone undergoes discipline. If you don't, you're an illegitimate child and not, true, and not a true son. When was the last time the Lord corrected you? Because if you have to really, really struggle about this, Pastor, I'm doing so good. I mean, I was once a sinner, but I am now a saint. If it's been so long since the last time that the Lord corrected you, you've got much more of a problem than you think you have. Your heart is so deceitful. I mean, maybe it's even like a Psalm 36 where you've got so much pride going in your heart, you can't even detect the own sin that's there in your heart. Hmm. Word of God is so good, isn't it? Goodness. Moreover, verse 9, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. I don't know whether you did, but it's supposed to be that's the case. Listen to this phrase, how much more? How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? You know what correction always requires of us? Absolute submission to the father. Not partial submission. Now, I, I like this part of the correction, so I take that. No, you either take the correction or you're not. You're either submitting to the father or you are not. Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. He doesn't have to try to do it for our good. He is actually disciplining us and it is going to work out for our good. That we may share in his holiness. Why? Because without holiness, you can't even see him. You'll never be a part of what he does without the holiness that is the result of him disciplining you as a son. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Hey, by the way, parents, let's just, I'm going to take an aside for just a second. If you figured out how to discipline your child without it being painful, you are not disciplining your child. Discipline by nature and by definition has to be painful. We understand that with children. How much are we refusing it in our own life? looking at the pain and thinking that that pain can't be from the Lord. This has got to be something that I must fight against. There's pain. There's discomfort in my life. I definitely, that must not be Jesus. That's not the God I serve. That may be true. It may not be the God that you serve, but it is in fact the God of all creation that treats you that way. Later on. Come on, somebody say later on. on. You mean it doesn't happen right then, Pastor? You mean I don't get disciplined and then immediately feel good and feel all the the tingly parts of, of, man, I took discipline, I took it like a champ. Oh, everything's better. No. It stings for a while. (laughs) Man, I remember I remember getting so many spankings as a kid. Goodness gracious. I was the kind of kid who my dad who was a football coach, and when I'm a kid, I thought he was like the strongest human being in the world, right? I remember going, my dad had the biggest arms, and he would spank, I would start crying before my dad spanked me, because I knew it was going to hurt that much, and he always obliged, because he loved me. He made sure that it hurt that much. As a matter of fact, when I got to the age where he started thinking about not spanking me, is when I didn't cry before he actually laid laid the whooping on me. I was like, oh, here we have an idea that it's later on. 
it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So if you do the discipline and then you despise it or ignore it, are you going to get the harvest of righteousness? Why? You will not get it. Why? Because you have not been trained by it. So what is the Lord so faithful to do? Sends you back to go. Do not collect $200. You have to do it again. Anybody ever had part of your life that felt like deja vu? Like, I think I've been here before. Let's see. Every job that I've ever been on, this happens. Yeah, the problem isn't your job. The problem is you. Man, every relationship that I'm ever in seems to be this way. Yeah, it's not the other people. The problem is you. And you're not listening to the Lord's correction that he might work these things out in you so that later on you can have a harvest of righteousness and peace because you've actually yielded to the training of the Lord. That what you could not do before, you can do after training. That the level that you could achieve before is not the same as what you can achieve after if, somebody say if, if you allow the discipline of the Lord to refine you, if you engage in this and go forward in it and not be repulsed by it, if you grab a hold of it and say, I will love correction, Lord, you can be trained by it. You can receive the harvest of righteousness and peace. What areas of your life are you not being trained by the discipline of the Lord? What areas in your life are you still staying the same or getting a little bit worse as time goes on? Because you're just relegating yourself. Because you can only despise the discipline of the Lord so long before he just decides, okay, I'll just go ahead and give you over to that. Man, that's not what I want for you. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. That sounds like a training program to me. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The Lord is always looking to heal you through the discipline that he's applying. He may, he may injure you because he's removing something from you, but I promise you he'll heal you if you engage with what he's doing. Turn to John chapter 15. Is this making any sense to anybody? Okay, just checking. John chapter 15. In case you needed to hear it, not just from the writer of Hebrews, in case you wanted to see it in red letters in your Bible. John 15, verse 1. Everybody there? You there, Paul? Amen. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. So what are you, what are you supposed to get from verse two? There's going to be some cutting going on. (laughs) If you're not producing fruit, you get cut off. The parts of you that aren't producing fruit get cut off. The parts that are producing fruit, what happens? You get pruned, which is what? He's cutting off parts of you. He's refining you so that you might do what? Produce more fruit. We know this, pastor. I mean, we've heard John. I love John 15. Do you love it when it actually comes to someone adding correction in your life? When the Lord says, oh, I love this one. Let me cut this away from their life and remove it. Don't we feel loss? I thought that was, I thought that was doing, I thought I was doing good. Maybe you were doing good and that's why he's removing something from you. Oh, that's right. Cause he's treating you like a son. 
I can be so simple. Sometimes we can be so simple. And if it's difficult in our minds, not in our spirit, not what we'll say to each other, because we're too mature to do this, right? Oh, we're just too mature to say this, that difficult equals not from God. We're supposed to embrace hardship as discipline. We're supposed to know that he will prune you if you're doing good. Either way, there's going to be some pruning going on here. It's for our good. What kind of, the, what kind of pruning is the Lord doing in your life? <laughs> Has it felt like someone's been reporting you to the Department of Corrections? Correction is not your problem. It's the solution. If you're wanting to feel right instead of be right, you won't love correction. I'm going to say that again because this will help some of you if you'll just listen to it. If you're wanting to feel right instead of be right, you're not going to love correction. Why? Because you're pointing out, the Lord is pointing out your faults and it doesn't make you feel right because you're not. I'm going to say this in a different way. That if you don't want to be wrong, instead of wanting to be right, then you're not going to love correction. Listen to it again. I I want you to understand. If you just don't want to be wrong, that is very, very different than trying to be a righteous son of the king. Why? Man, I don't like it when you tell me that I'm doing wrong. Why? Because I just don't like being wrong. Oh, so you're completely prideful. Oh, so you're not at all acting like a son. Oh, you think the Lord is only using you because you're strong. If you just don't want to be wrong, that is not loving correction. You have to love correction. Somebody say, I'm going to love correction. We have to lay down our right to be right. We have to let God work in us. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You guys know this. Don't, don't get ahead of me. You know this verse already. I'm telling you, you know it. But I want to show it to you in context of correction. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. <clears throat> says, all scripture. Come on, somebody say it with me. All scripture. Every single one of them is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The church world loves to say this verse and hates the implications of it. All scripture, if all scripture is God breathed and it is in fact useful for teaching. Great. We all like that one. As a matter of fact, can we just build a church around just the teaching part? Oh yeah, we've done that a lot, haven't we? Because we only want to teach you so that you feel more knowledgeable. But what doesn't go on is you get to get rebuked. You know what the word of God is supposed to do in you? It is supposed to rebuke you. It is supposed to correct you. It is supposed to train you. Somehow we've used training in a very kind of positive way. We want to put it as the same as teaching. Anybody have a personal trainer at the gym? What, what's what's the, the goal of the personal trainer? To push you beyond what you want to do. To wear your little booty out. 
That's the job of the trainer is to not, is to hear your excuses, ignore them all and wear you out and push you to be better and make you stronger by the end. If you like your personal trainer while they're training you, you got the wrong personal trainer. You need somebody who you don't really like while they're training. You can like them before, you can like them after, but the right trainer, you're not going to like when they do it because they make you do what you don't want to do. The Bible is supposed to be doing these things for us. And it does it through correction. Now, uh, this idea of having a department of correction. You know, I was, a, I was an assistant principal for a while and I was, they used to kid around. They would say that they would send them to the department of corrections. My office. I want to set up a few things for you. We're going to read through these together. Because when God does and sends us correction, it is always to liberate and to free us. We're going to talk about the devil's detention deputy versus the kingdom corrections officer. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all have a different understanding of corrections officers than others of you in here. Some of you do not have positive thoughts about a corrections officer, but in this case, we're going to show it to you. The devil's detention deputy. The goal is always to confine you. But the kingdom corrections officer's goal is always to free you from that which binds you. Turn with me to Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5.1. It says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Why did he, he set you free so that you might actually be fully free. He's liberated you. Stand firm in him and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In James chapter 1, verse 22, I'm going to go through these. You're welcome to join me, but I'm going to read them for time's sake. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Allow it to rebuke, correct, train, as well as teach. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. Listen to this phrase. But the man who looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom. Man, I encourage you, if you have never read Law Dog, you need to go on Amazon and find Law Dog. This idea that the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. God's law is supposed to make you free. James 2 verse 12 says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Why do we look at God's word? Why do we think about the law and think bondage? The Lord is giving it to us for freedom. The devil's detention deputy shows us the only place we can stand. You're confined. You come stand over here. But the kingdom corrections officer says this is the only place that you cannot stand. Move on. When God says, you can't stand here, you've got to go. You know what we're often doing? We're like, no, but I like my place. I like this spot. Let's all turn to Luke chapter 19. 
The kingdom's correction to offer is showing you where not to stand, how to move on past where you are, how to get free from where you are and move on in the Lord. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, move on. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Just in case you missed it. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Right? Familiar passage. We know this. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What if Zacchaeus would have looked at him and be like, no, I like this tree. I feel tall today. I don't usually feel tall, Jesus. I'm, I'm kind of short in case you haven't noticed. And I really like the feeling of being tall. What did the Holy Spirit, what did Jesus Christ here say? This is the one place that you cannot be right now. Come on, is there somewhere that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you about? That Jesus Christ has been using the word and say, yeah, you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. I'm telling you where you can't be. Where that you have to move on from this. That you have to awaken to what I am doing. You better be listening to the correction of the Lord. So that you are not bound to the place that you are. If Zacchaeus would have denied what Jesus said, it, he might as well have been chained to the tree. But because he listened and was liberated from that one spot, his entire family came into salvation. Salvation came to his house, which is, I love the, uh, the irony in that statement. Jesus Christ himself, salvation, came to his house and left salvation with his house. What salvation are you preventing from entering your life because you're not moving the way that the Lord is telling you to move? My friends, it is in fact at times a matter of life and death for us to listen to the Lord. It's always a matter of life and death. We just don't always see it as that. We think we have the option to despise what he's telling us, to choose what we like, to say this is too difficult and the cost is too high. Yeah, salvation may be in the balance. The devil's detention deputy has barbs, fences, locks, and gates. What to do? Why? To keep you in a certain place. Listen to this. The kingdom's correction officer uses goads on the inside to move you towards freedom. Okay, that was good. I'm going to go back and get it again. It's Wednesday night. Y'all going to be with me on this. In a prison, all of the paraphernalia is designed to keep you in. In the kingdom, the goads, the things that are the barbs, those devices are on the inside to push you away from sin and towards freedom. Let's look at a passage. This will help you understand it. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 14. It says this, it says, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
a stick with a sharp end on it that you would poke something to get it moving in the right direction. Saul, it is so hard for you because you are kicking against the thing that I'm trying to use to get you to my very presence. You're saying, ow, that hurts. He's kicking against it. I mean, good thing none of us have ever kicked against a goad of the Lord. A sharp, piercing thing that he's using to say, you've got to move from this spot and you've got to move on to what I have for you. This discipline is designed to get you moving because you are being complacent. You are being lazy. You are staying where you do not belong. Get up and go. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. What happens as this, as this story goes on? Saul is transformed into a different human being. When he quit kicking against the goad and responded to the discipline of the Lord. When he quit kicking against the discipline and let the discipline work in his life. He was transformed from a self-righteous man into someone who is incredibly humble. He was transformed from a self-justifying human being to one who said, yeah, I'm the worst of the sinners. My God. He used to stand and say all of his accomplishments. He would revel in that. That's what he took joy in as he was killing Christians. And he said, man... In 1 Timothy 1, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Verse 15, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Those things that you used to revel in, those things that you used to show because you thought it showed your greatness, you now say, it's a monument to me being the worst of sinners. Philippians chapter 3. Megan, can you put Philippians 3, 7 on the screen? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss. Next verse. But what is more, I consider everything a loss. Do you know what causes a man to be able to say this? A man who's no longer kicking against the goats. The goat accomplished what it was supposed to in their life. He yielded to the discipline of the Lord. And he said, yeah, anything that I thought was great about me, I lay it down. You know what? Now that I think about it, everything is lost compared to him, compared to knowing him. Can you say that with your heart? Can you, does your life say what Paul says here? Are you too busy kicking against the goads in your life? You don't like it, so you're fighting it. You don't like the discipline. You don't like the way the discipline is being instructed. You are not being transparent before the Lord and you're not achieving what the Lord has for you. We are a church who has been trained to come to this altar. We're a church who has been trained to try to listen to the voice of the Lord. But are you just not realizing what in fact is the Lord disciplining you? Have you said here at the altar, God, I want you to change me. And then when you get up and somebody, he begins the process of what you just asked for, you revolt against it. And then the next week you come down, Lord, change me. Do something with me. Help me. And then he begins to do exactly that through correction and discipline. You push against it. We're in this iteration, this iterative cycle of coming down. We've got to actually accept the correction of the Lord. 
We can't keep kicking against the goads. When Paul quit kicking against the goads, he was transformed. Come on, I know that there are men in here, that is your heart's desire. I'm speaking to you like you don't, that this is not your actual desire. What I'm trying to say is there's some deceit that goes on in our own heart. And we need the Lord because He loves us to correct us and our attitude about the very correction. I want to love correction in my life. I need it. When the devil's detention deputy talks about conviction, it's in terms of a sentence that puts you behind bars and in prison. But the kingdom corrections officer, when he talks about conviction... It's always to set you free. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It says this. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Come on, I know by the spirit of God right now there are some of you in this room and you need to be set free from some things tonight. You need to let the correction of God set you free. And that's what he's trying to do in us. He's trying to stir us. These last several times that we've met collectively as a group, he's telling us that we've got to be hungry. He's telling us that we've got to learn to cultivate in our homes. He is moving us. He's trying to help us because he loves us. He is correcting us. He is rebuking us. He is training us. And he is surely teaching us. Are you accepting it all? Are you parsing it out for the parts that you like? My God, help us tonight. The devil's detention deputy comes in, the letter of the law. But the kingdom corrections officer always has the heart of the Father. Genesis 2 says, the very first command to the man, you are free. Come on, somebody say it, you are free. He is trying to bring freedom to your life tonight through correction. You see it as opposition You see it as something that will bind you. You see it as something negative. And God's saying, no, you don't understand. It's the solution. It's not the problem in your life. Lord, help us. Let's turn to a few examples of men who got this correct. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 5. As my family, I need you to do something for me right now. I'm trying to share with all that I have. There won't be any of me that's left after I'm done. I'm trying to give it all to you. In these last few minutes that we have together, can you, can you stay with me? I think the Lord is going to use what we've said and what we're going to say here in the next few minutes to liberate you, if you'll let him. It will be the beginning steps of you loving correction in every way. In Isaiah 6, 5. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
When you really see the correction of the Lord Almighty, you know what you do? Our problem is sometimes that we're trying to convince God and we're trying to convince other people of our circumstances. God is trying to correct our condition. The reason this correction can't be right is because this person missed these details. See, they weren't technically correct. Let me explain my circumstances to you. Dear friend, God knows your circumstances, but he cares about your condition. Why did Isaiah, why is he quoted in this way? Why does it move us so? It's because he didn't say, let me tell you the details of what's going on, Lord. Perhaps you don't know them. He said, I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm not together. I don't have it all together. I am undone because I've seen the God of creation. I've seen the Lord Almighty. And what it did was I realized that He is after my condition and He's not after my circumstances. You can fight for your circumstances all you like and you're going to miss the God who's trying to change the condition of your heart. Remember that deceitful heart? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to change the condition of that deceitful heart. Go ahead. Win the argument about your circumstances. You're losing. You're going to continue to lose if you keep fighting over your circumstances. If only they understood more. If only they had more details. Your problem is the condition of your heart. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for Isaiah. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. Let's look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love. Come on, if we haven't already taught that to you as a church, I want you to feel the weightiness of that tonight. The law that gives life. The law that gives freedom. His covenant of love. The reason he sets forth his will to you through his word is that you might experience freedom and life and the very love that he has. Who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned. We've done wrong. My God, we've even been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and your laws. Don't try to read too much in this. I want, you to, I want you to feel what Daniel is saying. I want you to know what it feels like to be a man who's saying, God, I've done this wrong. I thought I was following you right, Lord, but you're showing me because you love me that I've got areas that I've actually been despising your very correction. I thought I wasn't despising it. I didn't know But the truth is, is that's only a deceitful heart that was tricking me. And it's not an excuse. I don't want to miss you changing the condition of that heart, Lord. Skip all the way down to verse 22. Daniel's praying. An angel appears to him. 
Gabriel comes and instructs him. And he says, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. You know what happens after we really embrace correction? Insight and understanding become part of our life. Perhaps some of the insight and understanding that you don't have right now is because you're not receiving the correction of the Lord. As soon as you began to pray, Daniel, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. I don't have time tonight to to tell you how important of a phrase this is. I can tell you that I want to be a man who is highly esteemed in the heavens. The only way to do that is for me to love correction. To confess openly. If I hide things, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not loving correction. I'm prideful and I don't want you to see that I'm weak. If I'm not immediately transparent when the Lord himself or one of his chosen vessels says something to me, I'm not loving correction. And I have no chance of being highly esteemed in the kingdom. One last passage and one last example. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Well, that's, that's exciting. There's, a, there's a, an excitement that's in the air. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. He sat down in the boat and he taught the people from the boat. They were crowding around him and not everybody could see him. So he backed out in the water and they all got on the seashore and they were just watching him. And he was speaking to them. He was teaching them. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So the teaching is done. I guess people are dispersing. He leans over, says, okay, boys, it's time for you to go to work. Simon answered, master. You may not know this, but let me tell you about my circumstances. We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is the Sutherland translation here. He doesn't sound excited to me. Lord, I can't really say no to you. So because you're telling me I'll go out and I'll let down some nets. I want to remind you that I have been working all night and we didn't catch anything. So the very place that I'm going to go put down this net is the very place I've already put down the net. I've already done what you're telling me to do. See, I don't know that you know all the detail. Okay, well, I guess I'll go. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that both boats began to sink. Wow. Aren't you glad you went and let your nets down? How many times do we do this 
We really didn't want to go do something. We really didn't want to come, come to church. Pastor, I'm a little tired. <coughs> I'm a little under the weather. I had other things to do. I really didn't want to come. Uh, okay, it's church. I feel, I feel bad about not going, so I'm going to go tonight. Then the Lord slam dunks us. So much that it's not, and it, we can't contain it, and our spouse can't, it's just we're, about, we're both about to sink because of God's presence. You know what we do? <laughs> we're, like a, we're like, yeah, I was a boss. I went to church tonight. <laughs> we forget that the beginning of this was we really didn't want to go. We take credit for going. We take our apprehension about going and we turn it into a glorious thing about us. I went because the Lord showed up. Look at how Peter responds to this. And this should be our heart. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Are you, are you getting what we're moving towards here? When you don't do it right and God gives you mercy anyway, and then you walk on like you never had a problem to begin with, you are despising the correction of the Lord. You should cry out to him and go, you helped me anyway. You blessed me and I didn't deserve it. I am a wretched man and you still showed up. Instead of taking pride in your error, how about we fall down on our knees and go, God, I'm a sinful man. You helped me in spite of me. You were trying to correct me and I didn't see it. I missed it. I despised your correction and yet you brought life to me anyway. Thank you. It wasn't just even what I could contain. It was more than my, than my partners can contain. When you love correction, when you are fully and immediately transparent when corrected, do you know what happens to Peter here? To Simon? Jesus gives him the purpose for his life. At the end of verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything, and they followed him. When you get right about correction, you're not reveling in the things that God has done in spite of you. You fall on your face that he might transform you. What is it like in your life tonight? I'm dealing with, in my own family, how to love correction. I'm telling you what is on my heart, what the Lord has been correcting me about. What about you tonight? Are you like Peter in this example? I want to be like Peter in this example. The truth is, is I know some men in this room are looking for their mezuzah statements. You're looking for the purpose. You're looking for the direction. You're going to find your direction once you get the correction right. 
Would you stand to your feet with me tonight? I don't know how to be any more vulnerable or open with you than I have tonight. I don't know how to share with you any more of my heart than I have in the last few minutes together. How's your heart tonight? Have you been missing out on the correction of the Lord? Have you been doing everything but being transparent before Him? Have you been despising His correction in your life? See, it's my hope tonight that those things that the Lord is going to correct you about now will become great, victorious parts of your life. Megan, can you put up Judges three thirty one? After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Maybe the things that you've been afraid to show other people because they're weaknesses are the very things that God can use in your life to be an overcoming weapon to decimate the enemy. Maybe that go that you were kicking against, once you learn how to rightly take the correction of the Lord, can be a very weapon in your hand. Overwhelming odds. Six, what kind of man, singular man, can overcome 600 of the enemy? A man who allows the correction of the Lord to become a weapon in his hand. As we begin to worship, I don't want to be a man who says that he loves correction and then does everything in opposition to the correction that the Lord is bringing. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart now as we begin to worship? Respond to the Lord. Respond to what He is doing in your life. Repent of your lack of being corrected by Him. And let Him turn those goads into a weapon in your hands. Mighty God, we love you so much. Don't let us be people who say that we want correction and run away from the very things that you're doing in our lives. Move upon our hearts tonight, mighty one. We want to love correction. I want to love correction. My family is going to love correction in you, Lord. Raise up a church full of people who don't say that they'll take your correction and be deceived by their own hearts. Lord, help us because you discipline and correct those that you are treating as sons. Let a spirit of sonship be in this place as we accept your correction in our hearts. In Jesus' name.